Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about comics. Welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics, the podcast where two brothers discuss comics that meant a lot to them when they were growing up. Uh, Previously known as Screw It, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. We are now in season two, so we've rebranded as Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics. Season two is all about Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four, but it's still got the same two hosts, me, Kevin Hines. And me, Will Hines. That's it. That's it, uh, so uh, see you later, and thanks for listening. We're doing this a little different than Screw It, uh, Spidey, season one, uh, where we talked about each issue uh, per podcast. So each episode of the podcast, we discussed a single issue of Ditko's Spider-Man run. But there's 102 issues of Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four. Plus annuals. And we were terrified of it. So we we were doing it in batches. Yeah, we broke it into chunks. But uh, then we found so so it's very complicated. But if you're a comics nerd, you can handle complicated continuity. So what we're doing is we're doing recap episodes and commentary episodes. Recap episodes will go over quickly the plots of several comics amongst a huge batch of Jack Kirby Fantastic Fours. And then in commentary episodes, we'll get into the analysis. Yeah, and this is an analysis episode. Yeah. Uh, so this is where, again, we're covering issues one through eight. Uh, next week, we'll be covering issues... Nine through 20-something. Uh, I'm just going to say exactly. three. Uh, nine through 24. Yeah. Then we'll be doing 25 through 34. Yeah. So that gets you a little bit ahead. Yeah. If you're, if you're curious about those uh, uh, demarcations. A little about me and Kevin. We are um, uh, performers and teachers at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Kevin's in New York City and I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm the older brother. You can probably hear there's a level of maturity and wisdom in my voice that Kevin, the young, the young buck, still doesn't have. Yeah, I don't even understand what you're talking about. And um, and uh, we're not comics experts; we're just big comics fans, and we're just uh, old middle aged dudes who like the comics from when we were kids. So, Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four. We're doing the first eight issues uh, analysis this episode. Ooh, I'm excited. And I, if people, I'd love to know what people think about the format of how we're covering these issues, uh, both now and I'd love to know again when we get through the season. Yeah, um, is this is this us, dumb or is this good? Yeah, you can email us at screwitspidey at gmail dot com. Um, I think our plan also is to alternate between shorter runs where we can go issue by issue, as well as longer runs like this where we kind of format it a little differently. That's our plan for the podcast in general. Yeah. yeah. So if you liked our issue by issue analysis of Spider Man, we will do that again. Not for Fantastic Four, but for some other future comic. Yeah. I'm all business. I'm all business at the top of the show, Will. Yeah, you're getting a lot of info out. I'm, I appreciate yeah. it. You're acting like a real older brother. <laughs> what, what, a, what a high compliment from you. Yep. The oldest of brothers. That's right. Um, um, so we're doing the first eight issues of the Fantastic Four, which Kevin and I love. We think, you know, we uh, Fantastic Four kind of starts off... Not like hit or miss, but like it takes a while to totally find its final version and then becomes the best, one of the best superhero comics ever. We're in the early phases, but the, it definitely starts strong. We love these early issues. And, um, and if you listen to our recap episode, you, you heard like us talk a little bit about how this comic still was trying to figure itself out. It was just sort of throwing everything out there and just trying different things. Uh, and so because of that. Uh, every uh, yeah, by from issue one to eight, it's a pretty different comic already, and it hasn't even found itself yet. Yeah, it's still changing a lot. So, Kevin, we have a number of uh, segments we're going to get into. I'm excited for mm-hmm. the segments we have. This is a segment heavy episode. Yep. And our first segment is called Revolting Developments. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's named after a catchphrase of Ben Grimm the Things. He would say, what a revolting development. He mm-hmm. might not be the only character who says that, but he says it a lot. It's it's from some uh, radio show. Um, there's like some... I'll, I'll look, I'll <laughs> radio. Look. That's a dead medium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing even similar to radio uh, would work. Okay, yeah, it's... Um, it's from a, a radio and TV show called The Life of Riley, and the character right. Chester A. Riley would say, what a revolting development this is. And so I guess Stan Lee liked that show or something and basically took that phrase and sort of gave it to Ben Grimm. Or I guess you could argue that Ben maybe is a fan of the show. I mean, the Life a, of Riley looks like it also became a TV show, or is that just a different thing? No, it, yeah, radio and then TV show. And film. 
Oh man. Yeah, it was uh, really popular. Um, I don't know anything. I you know I've heard references to Life of Riley when I'm like being in you know doing a deep dive on old radio or old comedies or something like that. But I've never like listened to it. But it seems like some sort of like you know non-ironic married with children, like working class dude <laughs> with his family. Um, yeah, a guy named William Bendix is Riley. Anyway, so that's where the phrase "what a revolt in development" comes from. Although I you know I definitely associate it more with the thing. And so today's episode, we're going to be discussing the first three radio episodes of The Life of Riley. Yeah, we're going very deep into the Fantastic Four uh, <laughs> source material. Um, yeah, so Revolt and Development is a segment where we focus in on uh, – we talk about the how are the characters developing because the characters change a lot over the run. Particularly right? in these early issues. And then later on, they'll have sort of just a more standard character developments. But here, they're almost like – evolving into new characters each issue like ben Grimm, the thing changes a lot you never know what ben you're going to get here and he's yeah, really so and he's really never like what he ends up being totally so let's start with him are we gonna do it character by character yes great so let's start with ben ben Grimm, the thing the orange stone uh creature uh fighter pilot best friend of uh, the leader reed richards yeah, didn't want to go to space, but was uh, taunted as a coward for not wanting to go, Which so in, he agreed to yeah, go. Which in 60s Marvel Comics, telling someone they're a coward, guaranteed to get them to do whatever you want. Uh, no, it's that and Back to the Future 2 and 3, it's the only places where that insult worked so well. Yep. Um, so Ben Grimm eventually becomes like a lovable, tough guy, cigar-smoking, jocular... Uh, warm guy yeah i would say the heart of the team yep um probably the most evolved character the emotional center of fantastic four stories but in these early issues there's only glimmers of that and he's much more just like a brooding angry monster yeah he smashes things angrily constantly in these early issues uh, uh he says bah and just like knocks over cars and yeah. just like mad at everyone he seems villainous furious hates the fantastic four yeah, he's resentful. I think they were just playing up the fact that he, of the four of them, he's the one who's trapped in his like supernatural form. Like he's no longer a man. He's like this creature. And so they're, I mean, pretty rationally playing up that he's uh, he's upset about it. And um, but and he's even drawn like weirdly like he's drawn more monstrously and grotesquely, although it looks really cool. Um, it doesn't fit the personality he will eventually have. I mean, he, he really looks scary. Yeah, the thing that I uh, that that if you read the current comics you're familiar with, it's got these are sort of sharp-edged block like bricks that make up his body, sort of like very a blue eyes that sort of pop, um, and he, he almost seems cuddly, even though I know he's made of rocks. Like there's a cuddliness to him. He he kind of he kind of looks like a muppet in a way where it's like, well, you you're inhuman, but you look very warm and relatable. Yeah, and then these early issues, it's more like it's like if you took that thing and melted him in the microwave. Yeah, uh, he just looks misshapen. Like when he takes his coat off in the first issue, he looks sort of terrifying. His eyes are like receded back into his skull, so you can't see them too much. Like it's just this sort of dark void. You don't see teeth really. Um, he almost looks like an orange lizard in some ways. Yeah, because like his rocks look more like scales. Uh, there are still glimmers of the Ben Grimm that will come to be. There's little jokes he'll make now and then, but it kind of comes off as angry sarcasm here. And I have no examples to back that up. Yeah, he he's not as he doesn't joke as much in these early issues. Um, I'm sort of skimming to see if there are really any silliness to him. I mean, the thing's humor is very interesting in general, uh, but I think that all really starts after this run really yeah so who be you know the guy who becomes like the main character of this group really isn't even here yet um, um i'm skipping to issues let's see i'm gonna skip to the puppet master issue where he kind of uh, has the biggest change and the puppet he meets his girlfriend alicia right so let's see in issue seven he's still uh she falls in love with him before his personality is even really there yeah, issue seven, he's still sort of angry at everyone. Um, he kind of gets mad at Reed a lot, thinks Reed's sort of a, a egotistical jerk. 
where later on, like he talks about Reed as his best friend so often, but and, and you know, he is his best friend. And then like in issue eight, he kind of has this, the first, I think this is where the thing starts to really change. His look is already starting to get more cuddly though. It's not there yet. His eyes have more white to them, which helps a lot. He still, his bricks are still very rounded, but he looks less blobbish and a little more defined. Yeah. But he's still furious with the Fantastic Four. He still storms out in this issue uh, very quickly. But when he meets Alicia, uh, she takes to him right away. She thinks he seems like a, 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 a she thinks he's a strong, kind man. Yeah. And then when she touches him, uh, she she it doesn't bother her. Uh, she says, "I just found the page where she first touches the thing." This man, his face feels strong and powerful, and yet I can sense a gentleness to him. There's something tragic, something sensitive, which we had not really been shown in the comic. He has not acted sensitive or no. tragic. I mean, he's tragic, yes, but definitely not kind and, and sensitive. Yeah. Uh, and then later in that issue, the thing turns back into Ben Grimm temporarily, in which he touches him. Which he does all the time, by the way. He does all the time, yeah. Especially in these early—he turns back, like, every issue in this yeah. first run. Uh, when she touches him in this, uh, uh, for the, as Ben the first time, your voice, you are the strong, kindly one, but you seem different now. Then he starts to change back. No, wait, I was mistaken. It is you. It is the same wonderful man. So there's this aspect that, like, he wants to be the thing for Alicia already. He sort of fell in love with her very fast. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love thing in Alicia. Uh, um, and as you said, like, he changes back into Ben uh, frequently. I mean, obviously, in the first issue, he uh, starts as Ben, um, but he turns back into Ben at least three times during these eight issues, which is pretty fast. Yeah, it's later later on in the series. It's always treated like a huge momentous deal when he turns back to human Ben Grimm, which it, I guess it is. But reading them all in a in, in a rush like we did, semi rush, yeah. I was like, man, he kind of turns back like a lot. It's like every couple of weeks he's Ben Grimm again, but. Yeah, issue two, he changes back for no apparent reason. I think because they just fly through the cosmic rays again. He turns back into Ben temporarily, but it doesn't last. Yeah. Uh, issue three versus the Miracle Man. Does he change back? I don't think he does. They do recap the origin, so we see him as Ben there. Uh, no, he does not change back. Then they fight Namor, and he changes back. Hmm. He's fighting Johnny, and he just changes back to Ben temporarily. Johnny flies away, and then he turns back into the thing, and it's just a really sad moment. It almost felt like that was going to be a status quo of, like, this sort of, like, chance to be himself, but it kept slipping away. Um, but it just, like, it doesn't last. Because <laughs> um, after a while, he rarely changes back and doesn't even talk about wanting to be changed back as often. You know, they're doing the Hulk at the same time, and maybe they kind of like, re, you know, it started to feel redundant to have two man-monster hybrids, and they uh, allowed the Hulk to have all the tragedy of man trapped in a monster's body, and let Thing just be super comfy in it <laughs> eventually. Yeah, I mean, there is an aspect to that. Um, I, it's it's a confusing thing with a Thing, especially when we get into later ones, where it seems like he is totally content being the Thing for a stretch, and then just some issue, just because they have a storyline for it. He's mad and he wants to be Ben again. Yeah. Um, but for this run, he for sure wants to be Ben again up until issue eight when he meets Alicia. Then he sort of is resistant to it. Yeah. But it's an interesting transition that's just barely begun in these eight issues. Um, let's go on to another character. Sure. Let's do Reed. Okay. Uh, we're going to do Reed a deep dive. Maybe we should just wait for our deep dive. Um. Let's. I mean, let's do quick. What happens? To what Reed does in this issue? Then we'll talk about him in depth after. I think. All right. Reed also changes a lot. Like he starts off as kind of a spindly, older-looking uh, professor type. Um, but uh, yeah, in that first issue, he doesn't look like a superhero in any stretch of the no, no pun intended. But with any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> it's going to be hard to avoid stretch puns with Reed. Um, he, uh, yeah, he looks older. He looks kind of frail. Um, he already by the end of eight issues, he's looking kind of more youthful and vigorous. He ends up being like a real bully, frankly, in the, in the issues ahead. He's not there yes. yet, but he's just kind of getting more youthful and confident over the eight issues. 
By the time he gets the costume, he's starting to get a little more muscular, though he's not quite there yet. Like if I look at him on page 14 of issue four, he's got some he doesn't look like a thin uh, uh, professor who's never got lifted a weight in his life. But he doesn't look like the bruiser that he is by like issue 60. Yeah, he's a like if Jack Kirby just loves drawing muscles. Like if you are a character in a Jack Kirby comic, you lucked out because you're going to be jacked pretty soon. I wonder if that's where the word jacked comes from. (laughs) I doubt it, but uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be complete. It would be believable. (laughs) The evidence is there in these comics. Yeah. But for the most part, I think Reed's personality is the closest to the um, Jack Kirby personality. He's already sort of this know-it-all who is a de facto leader, sort of barks orders, doesn't like to explain himself. I just want to clarify, you don't mean that he's similar to the man Jack Kirby. You mean that he's reaching his final form the fastest. Yeah, well, the final form under Kirby's uh, pencil. I think he's changed since then. He's he's less of a jerk in current comics. Yeah, he's a real— Through these 102 issues, he's kind of always a jerk. Yeah, I mean, he's the leader who gets them moving and sort of barks orders and gets them all into missions and yells at them to stay brave— um. Yeah, but he's still he's he he's foggy here in these early eight issues. Um. How about Johnny? Johnny Storm, the human. Yeah. Torch. So so Johnny is interesting. Uh. First of all, his, Johnny's look changes a lot too because when he first starts, he's sort of this mass of flames. There's no like body definition to him. Yeah. But by issue three, he's kind of got the body of the Human Torch, though he's sort of faceless a lot of times, like the original Human Torch from the World War II era yeah. that he takes his name from. Uh, though by the end of eight, eight issues, he looks pretty much like uh, the Human Torch that we're going to see throughout. Yep. Yeah, um, he, he Physically, he looks like he's going to look. Um, Johnny's a bit angrier here. Then he will be later. And he's a, he's the hothead teenager, right? He likes dating girls. He likes fast cars. I guess yep. Jack Kirby also likes cars because he's always drawing different cars for Johnny to be driving. But um, he's a, he's a bit of an angrier version than than he ends up being kind of funnier and more lighthearted. Um, yeah, and he's sort definitely of, portrayed more as a guy who just like enjoys being a superhero in current comics. But in this, he's got he's got a little attitude. He, he's got he's like an angry teen. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, that, that's the main difference here is uh, he physically gets there pretty quick what he's going to look like. But he's he's just kind of his face is always in a frown and he's always like yelling in these early issues. Yeah. But I would say he's the second closest at the end of these eight issues to the Johnny Storm. Yeah. I think the thing's the furthest and Sue is somewhere in between. Um, and let's do Sue. Sue, the Great. most underdeveloped character of all the 102 issues, basically. Yeah, she barely does anything for these eight issues. Um, she, I mean, this is, you know, we've said it before, The probably the main flaw, most glaring flaw of these early issues is they just don't know what to do with Sue. They just, uh, they don't know how to write women, and they've got a woman in the group, and they just don't give her, her powers are weak, and they don't give her a personality, and so and even with those weak powers, they don't give her anything to like you could still write stories where invisibility is useful. But frequently characters can still set hear her or sense her somehow. So her yeah, invisibility they, sort of doesn't work. They undermine her powers. Yeah, um, it's it's rare when it's a useful power at all. Yeah. I mean, like even her biggest contribution to these eight issues is she does. She makes the costumes. Yeah. Um, Sue Storm. Slash Sue Richards when she gets married to Reed ends up being a great character in other people's hands. But so and she's really she's literally invisible in these stories. I mean, she's just barely a factor. Yeah, she she goes through an interesting arc and we'll talk about these as episodes go on. But um, I, she sort of peaks just pre-marriage. Yeah. Becoming like a pretty good character. And then after she marries Reed, they, they write her even worse for a while. Yep. Uh I guess but she never gets that great. Even at her best, she's just like, oh, she's now, you know, at least a part of the team. I'll um, I'll make a, I'll sort of be a devil's advocate to ourselves a little bit in that there might be something interesting about just that there is a couple. Here's a superhero team where two of the people are romantically involved. 
Um, they yeah, don't, but they if, don't but do a lot with it and they don't make use of it. But just, just by us, the reader knowing that you can sometimes project into the story stuff that's not there. That's interesting. It's like, well, what is it? Yeah. What is it like to have your girlfriend be on death's door? What is it like to have your boyfriend be, um, be a superhero and be like demanding these uh, all, you know, yeah. beyond, be, be in light, be in danger all the time. And if uh, that was one aspect of her, it would work, but that's her only aspect. Yeah. Is the love interest to Reed where Reed has other aspects like Reed is the leader and he's smart. Yeah. Uh, and he's sort of a jerk to everyone. He's the, the only one who could possibly cure the thing. And he's got all the solutions and, and all Sue really has is she's worried about Reed. Right, like and in Su- Superman her. comics, Lois Lane is the femme fatale who's always getting taken hostage, but she has a personality. She's like a – she's tough and she's kind of uh, – uh, she's fearless and she's smart. Um, but Sue uh, – I mean Sue is a superhero and they're going to up her powers in the next batch of stories and that will help. But um, yep, there's just a – it's just a – it's a bummer. Actually, is it in the next batch? I forget. It's that or the, I think it is the next batch toward the end. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's the next. We'll talk about that next time. Um, but yeah, as of right now, all she can do is turn invisible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, them being a couple could be interesting, just like having a brother sister on the team could be interesting. But that gets played up even less. Yeah. Than a relationship with Reed. Um, the Fantastic Four was a huge success and ends up becoming a huge part of comics in general. But sometimes you're like, man, it's weird that it worked because they didn't use the good ideas they had. They focused in on strange things. Um, you know, it's a almost. Couple, sorry, go ahead. No, that, that's all. A couple other things that I sort of skimmed over, like there's aspects to their powers that are very interesting right now. Um, Johnny's flames don't last very long in these eight issues. Right. He, whenever he tries to like chase somebody, it's like I can't go that far. My my flames are uh, running out of power. Um, like Reed's always like stretching to his limit constantly. That stuff sort of goes away. Those limitations become much less uh, as they go on and throughout these issues. Uh, as a team, they don't fight together very often. Mm-hmm. It's often like they get separated. They all fight their own separate battles and they get back together. Um, and that sort of changes as it goes on. But that's all still happening here. Um, uh, flame on is said in these issues. I also skipped that. That's an early catchphrase. Yeah, catchphrases are weird in comics, but Fantastic yeah. Four loves them, and um, they got a couple big ones, and that's one of them. And it's a uh, it's thing here. has like three, and he doesn't say any in these eight issues. Yeah, but Flame on uh, is said in issue four, and it, he starts saying it a lot pretty quickly, <laughs> which sounds insane. Yeah. It's not, you don't have to do it to get your powers. It's just like a little thing you're declaring. Just heads up. Maybe it is like fire in the hole, you know, just kind of letting everybody know. It's like, hey, I'm about to become a, a fire elemental, everybody. Look out. Yeah. Uh, and then one other thing I sort of skipped by Sue, uh, when we talk about how her power is useless, in issue eight of this run, she, uh, uh, her power is mostly used for comic relief. Like there's a sequence where like she's like, I think looking for somebody. And uh, she like you know pays a cab driver or something like that. A couple times through these eight issues where she pays a cab driver and the cab driver surprise someone's there. Yeah. Um, and then like there's one time where she like goes to a soda shop and drinks her soda while invisible. I think that's when looking for Johnny she does that. Yeah. And that's sort of ridiculous as well. Yeah. It's sort of weird that like her power is mostly used for laughs. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, reading these issues and also looking at when Jack Kirby did an issue of Spider-Man where Spidey and the Torch battle each other. I think Kirby's like, how can I visually demonstrate the powers? And he makes like a list and then he just like forces it in there. You know, he's like, Reed's going to be a bouncing ball here. And like, Sue's going to go into a soda shop, turn invisible and drink a drink a milkshake. Yeah. You know, everyone else is though doing generally doing it a little bit more combat related. Uh, at the very end of this puppet master issue, she's just basically holding a gun while invisible to keep a crook in line. Yeah. And it's like, so she doesn't have any powers. She just owns a gun. Yeah, the gun is more powerful than her supernatural ability. So it's sort of disappointing. I also want to talk a little bit about Doom. He only appears in two issues here, but he's sort of a goofball. Yeah, he's insane. He's not like this sort of... He's not a threat, Maniacal, really. 
threatening. He like seems so too theatrical, too melodramatic. Even though none of that stuff really goes away, it's not backed up at all in these issues. Yeah, they add they add more like real plans and threats and the he'll be in his kingdom in later issues and he's sort of surrounded by yeah. this rich world. Well, they don't even let Latveria, his country is not even mentioned in his two appearances. So he's not like a monarch in these two issues. So he's yeah. just dressing like this for no real reason. Uh, though they do mention that he was a he went to college with Reed. Yeah. And it's I find it I don't know if I mentioned this last episode. I find that sort of very impressive, maybe lucky that they mentioned that because it has no bearing on the story. Yeah. At all. And yet it becomes sort of a very critical point of Doom and the FF's relationship. Uh, his dialogue is is really heightened and theatrical here, and that'll remain like a staple of Dr. Doom. Uh, here, when he's introduced, there's a flashback of him learning dark magic. They show him doing a ritual, and he's like, I, Von Doom, have mastered the mystic <laughs> rites. And then he's in some science gizmo, and somebody's helping him set it up, and, he, and the guy asks a question, and Doom's like, silence, just do as you are told. I mean, he's just like constantly a jerk to everybody. Yeah. He's constantly betraying people. He starts that already. But so even Doom has some growing to do Yeah, at this point. If you look at him as almost like a fifth member of the team. Um, yeah, Doom's got, a way, Doom's got a ways to go. And also, like, like we've mentioned, um, they always defeat Doom so soundly that it's hilarious. Yeah, these first few fights end. Uh, well, the first, very first one, he escapes. Yeah. But the second one, he gets, he hurls into space on the back of an asteroid. Yeah. Uh, and his next, uh, when we meet him again next episode, he gets defeated just as soundly. Yeah, I can't wait. First of all, it's amazing, though, that he came back at all, I guess. Uh, also, almost every villain in these first eight issues wants to conquer the whole world. No one has smaller plans. Maybe like Puppet Master. I don't know Mir- what his Miracle. No, he does. He's got a little statue of himself as a king, and he says he wants to be king of the whole world. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the Miracle Man sends a note like, uh, I declare war on the human race. It's a bold first move. Um, yep. Doom, when he flies away in Even his Even Hitler jetpack. started with, like, Poland, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Doom, he's flying away from the FF at the end of issue five. He says, like, um, I have been cheated out of the magic gems of Merlin, but I shall still escape to find a new hidden site where I can plan for my conquest of Earth. And, um, you know, they're all, they're all really going for it. Yeah, and these first eight issues, the FF really uh, are – Dealing with threats, they're often threats that, um, they're a little more, even though in some ways they're less superheroes, they also are like the scrolls attack and the Fantastic Four fight them. Miracle Man attacks and the Fantastic Four fight him. They sort of find Submariner, but then he attacks and then they fight him. Dr. Doom attacks and then they fight him. Yeah. That stuff also sort of goes away a little bit as it goes on. Like there's less of this, just like people trying to attack New York. I guess maybe the Avengers take over that sort of role in Marvel. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, there are no Avengers. There's barely any superheroes at all. It's just them and Ant Man. So, well, they want they, you know they want a new villain every issue, and they want to get to him fast. And maybe the quickest way is like he attacks he or she, he or she attacks and announce their plans right away or something. You know, classic James Bond villain style. Um, slight digression before we go into our next segment. Okay. Uh, uh, I've been reading. Uh, some old Ditko stuff. I read his Machine Man run in the seventies. Speed, uh, yeah, and his Speedball run from, from the eighties. From the eighties or, or was it? Not, yeah, late eighties maybe. Late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Um, as well as uh, some of his other odds and ends here, like Hawk and Dove. Yeah. And the Creeper. Uh, but when I was reading Speedball and Machine Man in particular, it was very interesting because there's like a new villain every issue. And these are in the Marvel universe where there are plenty of villains to go around. And most comics are just sort of trotting out. Yeah. You pull from the existing rogues gallery. And I wonder how much of that was just Ditko's like either not wanting to draw those characters or sort of just like in his mind is like, no, you got to create somebody new. Yeah. And even though these comics aren't that good, Machine Man and Speedball, they're, you know, they're a little out of date, especially for the era they came out in. There's something great about, like, reading a comic like, oh, a different villain, a different villain, a different villain. I feel like that doesn't happen when the new characters launch. It's like they're fighting B-villains from other characters. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, even um, even in Ditko's later years, he still was trained to trot out a new villain every issue. 
yeah, I think since he was plotting these things, uh, arguably plotting these comics, that's what he did, or it's at least what he maybe it's what he asked of the writers. He's like, no, I want to create new stuff. The thing and Human Torch do show up in one issue of Machine Man, mm. but I think that might be it as far as like pre-existing characters showing up in his two runs. Um. I love it. Steve Ditko, anyway. still fascinating. Yeah. So when I'm reading these comics and there's like a new character every issue, it's like, I was like, I kind of wish that still happened. I, I understand why it doesn't. Um, these, you know, creators don't want to uh, create all these characters that they don't have ownership of. Um, and the readers just want the characters they already love. Well, you don't want mental clutter. I mean, like reading these FF issues, there's just so many people. Although the universe was empty. I mean, there was no other characters in the Marvel Universe when this started. So there's plenty of space. And now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Uh, This is Will and Kevin from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, maybe try listening to our first season. Yeah, maybe. We started this podcast by doing a whole season, 50 episodes, all about Spider-Man comics. We even did it under a different name. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. And we did one episode for each issue of the original comic book run. That was done by Spidey's creators, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Plus, we spent time talking about the Spider-Man movies, the recent video game, one on Steve Ditko, one on Stan Lee, and lots of other fun stuff. And all those episodes are still up. They should be part of the same feed you use to get this podcast. So, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, check those out. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. But in this case, we're just talking about the first season where we talk about Spider-Man. All from Campfire Media. And we're back. Um, so anyway, so that's our description of just the general development that these four characters went through in these eight issues. They're definitely going to go through more in the next batch and then the batch after that in particular. Uh, but we're going to move on to our next segment now. Our next segment, which is called This Man, This In-Depth Look at a Monster. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, which, which is where we take a deep dive on one of the characters. Um so and this and this uh, episode we're going to do Reed Richards, the leader. Yeah, we're we're starting with Reed Richards, um, and we're going to talk about him, and not just within these eight issues, but just sort of uh, as a character as a whole, and also like kind of his place in these hundred and two issues we just read. Yep. Um, so he's the leader. So he's he's one of these guys where his powers are very secondary to his like other abilities. He's like a scientific genius, and he is sort of like you know. Uh, do-gooder, loyal to America type where he's like, I'm going to use my genius in the name of goodness and in the name of the American way kind of guy. And that is more how he's involved in stories and his like stretching plastic man ability is like secondary. Yeah, it's definitely there and he uses it every issue. Uh, But if he lost his stretching powers, it doesn't seem like it would impact the team much other than he catches Johnny when he's falling a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's like his big – that's his big use of his power. Like when Johnny's flame runs out, Reed stretches and just barely catches him, which is impressive enough to catch somebody with one arm. Seems impossible. He – every Marvel superhero has got to be doing pull-ups like crazy because there's so much shoulder work. Yeah. Um also, yeah, Reed is good at, uh, as a visual. Whenever the four of them are posed, Reed is in the back expanded like a big hooded cobra, and it looks pretty great. That's another one of his contributions. Yeah. His hand can be in the foreground, but his body can be in the background. Yeah, it's like a perfect Jack Kirby character, you know? The, yeah. Uh, yeah, but his, you know, he, he's the leader. Um, he's a real, in these issues, he's a real angry dude. That's very notable. Yeah, he doesn't he, like being questioned. He's not pleasant. Like, I, I find him, I, I, I remember him as being likable in future incarnations of the Fantastic Four. He's kind of like, he'll become sort of a, a, a funnily absent-minded scientist. But in these early issues, he's sort of just a jerk um, army sergeant type. Yeah, there's like an aspect to him that starts in uh, like the second half of this run that is always sort of touched on by other creators where when they're dealing with a huge problem, he sort of locks himself in the lab and sort of ignores his wife and his family while he's trying to like solve this problem. But generally when it's done 
now it's sort of like, oh, you know, he's working really hard. Poor Reed. And here it's like he's sort of being an ass. I get the feeling that there's sort of a um, real man's man energy in 60s Marvel comics where it's like, hey, when there's a threat, we got, you know, it's no time for emotions. It's time for work and for us to, you know, bind together and fight off this thing. And, and I think it's you can tell that uh, Kirby and Lee were young men during World War Two. Basically, there's like a, you know, set aside your personal issues and sacrifice to beat Hitler sort of mentality against every villain. Um, like the, like they're, they're the glamour of war kind of like, yeah, of, of being, you know, the FF's like a little army. And I think Reed is like, you know, always espousing, uh, shut up with your feelings. It's time to fight. And everybody kind of agrees. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah, he definitely, and he ha- he is like a frontline sergeant kind of feel. He makes the plans, but he's also on the front line fighting with them. He's not just like calling the shots, but he does call the shots a lot. There's a lot of times where he is telling characters what to do. Our character does something, and then they remark, "Reed told me to do this." Yeah, Stan Lee, the writer, and the, especially the dialogue writer, really wanted it known that Reed was pulling the strings. They, Marvel likes that. Like Captain America is another guy who's always calling the shots. Like they always – they like having someone whose main – Yeah. One of his main and, skills is like planning. Anytime somebody in the Avengers punches somebody, they're like, good thing Captain America trained me. <laughs> yeah. Like they really want you to know that there's like a leader. I, I guess it makes sense. I mean – this is going to be such an asinine observation, but like World War II was such a huge, you know, defining event. And Kirby and Lee, Jewish kids from New York City um, who served in World War II. I mean, Jack saw combat. Lee was a PR guy, but they're both in the army. Um, and, you know, this war with this like guy who did want to take over the world, who tried to er- erase a an ethnicity from the globe and and this battle ends in a nuclear sci-fi thing like in a way their comics are total reflections of that the villains want to take over the world they're completely evil everybody must bind together in a glorious moment of self-sacrifice and then a sci-fi wonderment saves the day at the end like it it's it's you know it's no wonder that they um that they that they wrote stories like this it's interesting that Reed can't cure Ben. It's like his one weakness. Yeah. Because every time he kind of puts himself to a problem, he generally finds a solution. Oh, yeah. His scientific discoveries are insane. He makes like shrinking rays, um, finds other dimensions hidden in plain sight, uh, you know, makes them breathe underwater at the drop of a hat, can make televisions that work across solar systems in real time. Um you know, million flying machines. He's got an, he's got weapons in the Baxter building that are as strong as anything the army has anywhere in the world. But he, he can't, can't cure Ben. But he can't cure Ben. His best friend he can't cure. Yeah, and the the writers, uh, Stan and Jack, and then also future writers, have fun with that. Like, you've already hinted at it. Sometimes it's said that, like, well, Ben doesn't want to be cured. That's part of the problem. Yeah. He wants to stay in his monster because Alicia likes him that way. But it's definitely implied throughout this run and throughout most runs that it's something that Reed has always got in the back burner. He's always working a little bit on. Is there a way to cure Ben or find a way that lets him change back and forth? Yep. Uh, and he can't do it. So Reed's a little bit of a failure. <laughs> yep. Um in the very early issues here, he's the spindly scientist type. He, you know, FF starts off looking more like a horror uh, story than a superhero story. And Reed is kind of like the knowledgeable old scientist in yeah, a lab. Smoking his pipe, thinking about it, standing in the back in the shadows. Yeah. Um, that goes away pretty, pretty quick. Then he kind of enters like a self-doubt phase because of Sue and Namor. He doesn't right. know where he stands with her. I love that. I mean, you know, it's probably his best phase in this run. It gives him some depth. Um, You know, like I was saying before, Reed and Sue are a couple. It's not used well by Jack and Stan, but even just saying it makes you, the reader, imply stuff that's not there. And so you can think about the melodrama of these two and it's kind of fun. And when there's a love triangle, it's, I think, really enjoyable. Yeah. Then he finally proposes to Sue. Um 
And then he kind of quickly becomes sort of very overly protective of her, which I think probably in Stan's mind was like romantic. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm giving the FF some real depth here. He's demeaning her just like a new husband would. Uh, but it's awful. He just sidelines her every chance he gets. And that's even before she gets pregnant. Once she's pregnant, she's basically not in she's the comic shut anymore. Down, yeah. There's I, mean, some, there, there's I have a child. Real, yeah. I have a child, and my wife was not bedridden for the entire pregnancy. Yeah. Like Sue was. Right. And I think Stan knows that. I think, right? He knows yeah. how that happens. And, um, you know, I guess it's, I'm going to, uh, it's bad, basically, but in an effort to just, uh, devil's advocate, I guess, like context of the time, you know, Marvel was trying to make its name on real life problems impact these characters more than the supernatural problems. You know, it's really demonstrated yeah. well in Spider-Man. So it's like, okay, we're going to mention the pregnancy all the time. And the fact that she's about to have a baby is of paramount importance. And that idea is good. Uh, and, a, and a step forward for the superhero comics of the time, I'm assuming. But, um, you know, just done in the kind of most destructive to the story and character way, unfortunately. I mean, and I don't know if it's all Stan. Like, Jack Kirby's drawing these pages. I don't know how often it's Stan. Like, make sure you don't have Sue in this issue is a order. Or how much of that is coming from Jack. Uh, uh, but it's definitely coming from the two of them. Jack is uh, Jack Kirby's really interesting. There, there's a backup feature coming much later in one of the annuals where it's like Jack and Stan doing an issue of FF. But, but Kirby does this story alone without Stan's help. Yeah, it's super goofy, right? The it's, one where they end up like in bandages. Yeah, it's really goofy. It's very silly and cartoony. The logic is really weird, even for a silly story. Like Jack Kirby completely unleashed is um, silly, uh, joyful, but a little dumb. Um, um more, more like impatient. Like he's rushing so fast from set piece to set piece that he doesn't bother with the connective tissue. And so even though Kirby's a genius and responsible for the Marvel universe, uh, he definitely, I think Stan helped Jack more than Stan helped Ditko in terms of story. Um, I think they were more of a team than uh, Stan and Steve. I mean, for sure they were more of a team. They liked each um, other more. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we know where certain concepts Start. We definitely don't. It's still just as blurry for sure. Um, so, okay, yeah, back to Reed. Um, so story-wise, Reed is the guy who, I mean, the Fantastic Four is his team. Like, yes. he, he is the leader. He has the vision for the team. It You imagine that it's his decision they don't wear masks. Whenever government officials show up, Reed's the one who talks to them. Um, the other members defer to him and his plans at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also, because he's always working on experiments, uh, it's something I'll talk about as we go on. But a lot of these splash pages that start with issues are often like him testing something. Yeah. Or uh, <laughs> testing the powers of his teammates. Yeah. Giant devices. Yeah. So, he, uh, so that's really fun. And it's also often a gateway to the storylines. Like without Reed, this team is a lot more normal. Yeah. What do you do in Reed? Like it, well, I've discovered a microverse, a universe yeah. of people living amongst the atoms. Oh, let's go there. <laughs> if this was just a torch in Ben, I think they just like they're going on patrols and finding villains and catching them. Yeah. They're I mean, basically in, an Avengers like team in Spidey. It's always it's often a strong guy that wants bags of money and that's it. And the FF, because of Reed, it's much more of a science book. Yeah. Things are being unleashed or discovered that are threats. Um, like a lot of the threats just come from within. I think that's really a really cool aspect to the Fantastic Four. And it all comes uh, from Reed. He's probably, though I know there's been errors when he's not been on the team. It's like he is the most indispensable member. Yeah. Uh, uh, for, the, a, like a, for like a uh, long term, I guess. These early books remind me, you know, I, like I was telling you, Kevin, I just went to Disneyland for the first time last month. Disney's a big thing in L.A. I mean, it's a big thing in the world, but it's. There's a special love for Disney and Disneyland amongst Los Angelinos, I think. And yes. when you go to Disneyland, 
Um, I'm reminded of how old Disneyland, original Disneyland, is like there's a lot of like boy adventurer stuff, like Frontierland, where you can see like engines and like wild animals, you know, or oh, look at the pirates. And Kirby and Lee are definitely like they glamorize the boy adventure stuff, and Reed is like the the sci-fi version of that. Like they're going to Mars. I'm actually, they don't actually go to Mars, but they'll go to like another universe be, to explore it, like out of the excitement of of, of learning about it. Um, like that that is a not that that is enough of a story. It's like, oh, we have to go check it out. Like it'll be so fun or whatever. And I think like a lot of modern uh, superhero stories, there's always more emotional reasons to do things. But these guys are just explorers, and it's because of Reed. Yeah. Um. I I think it also weirdly makes him seem like the hardest one to do like a solo story for. Mm. Um, like I, it's hard for me to conceive of like what he. I, mean, I guess it'd be sort of the same stuff, but it'd be but, uh, sad and lonely and kind of boring. Yeah, it it seems like he needs a team of people around him to make his stories interesting. Where I can, I mean, Johnny does have a solo book, Strange Tales Forever. Uh, and uh, eventually the thing joins that. And the thing does Marvel two and one where he teams up with people. But I can even imagine solo adventures for the thing. And he's had his own solo titles a few times. And Sue's never had a solo title. But I can envision that too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but for Reed, I'm just like, oh, well, he would just need to form another team around him. Yeah, he's got to have a band. He's not a solo artist. He's like Joan Jett. He's got to have right, a black That's hearts. what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. He's a really interesting one. He's And he's definitely the character that is the least known in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I feel like The Thing, you know you know characters like The Thing. I don't know. Reed is the key to the Fantastic Four. Like, he he is the heart of the... Not, not character-wise, The Thing is the heart of the team emotionally, but Reed yeah. is like the... I mean, yeah, it's his vision. He's the guy well, who the created thi- this. The Thing is sort of easy to make work. If you can do... A, if you can't make a good thing then you're, you shouldn't even be in the business of making a Fantastic Four movie. But if you can't make a good read, you probably haven't Cracked figured it out yet. Yeah. And that's like He's the tricky. last piece. He's tricky. I, I will say about the last Fantastic Four movie that was awful, it did yeah. seem to be focused on read. Yeah. It was really – it's a terrible movie. Um, it's It was really interesting to watch as a fan of the Fantastic Four though because it's like, well, there were moments in it where I was like, this is a good thought and this is a good thought. It wasn't allowed to yeah. play out or it wasn't given enough whatever to finish. There was like – you know, it's one of these bad movies where there's like three bad movies all colliding with each other. Yeah. But if one of them had been allowed to be the whole movie, you could imagine, oh, this could have been good. It's got one of the worst endings. The movie was bad. I saw yes. it with uh, our friend John Flynn. The movie was bad, and in the last two minutes, I think it becomes thirty percent worse. <laughs> but how does it end? I forget. It ends with them naming themselves, <laughs> like they're just like looking over a government facility where the government is setting up all this equipment for them, and they're like, "What are we going to call ourselves?" And it's like, "Can't do this." How about the Fantastic Four? All right, and the movie ends or something like that. Like it's so <laughs> tacked on and lame that I was, I was already. I mean, I was already just like this movie's terrible, and I was like, woof. Yeah. I was stunned at the ending. I was like, just cut those two minutes. <laughs> uh, it's real bad, but it does like the first half of the movie focuses on uh, on Reed, Reed Richards yeah. by Miles Teller. They, I mean, they cast a really good actor. Oh yeah, he's a great actor. I mean, a lot of the actors are great in the movie. It just, yeah, sure. Uh, it's it's I mean, not the actors. Michael, uh, Michael P. Jordan is. Johnny is, I think, awesome. Awesome, yeah. And uh, I don't, I like the Doom actor too. Yeah, uh, but it, but it definitely felt like it was meant to be at least one draft of that movie. The early drafts were a Reed movie. Yeah, which I is think a, that's probably smart. the right way to do yeah, it. I think so too. Let everyone um, else be fun and let Reed be the the core. It's tough, also, because I think like well, we'll talk about the movies some other time. But I think like again, the Fantastic Four. As Jack and Stan conceived them, was adventurers and explorers at a time where sci-fi stuff, like just being an explorer, was a novelty. You know, this is before we've reached the moon. This is before the world still seemed full of mysteries. And now we live in a place where it's more like information-based than idea-based. So... The context is different for the FF. You know, I, I don't know if they're as relevant these days. It'd be interesting to try to make it work. I, I'm i more excited for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to add the Fantastic Four 
than for them to add the X-Men because the X-Men have been done pretty well. well. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes very well. Some bad movies, some good movies, but like they, you see how they could work. X, you know, X2 is great. I think X-Men um, First Class is really fun. Um, yeah. The Logan movie that just came out was excellent. So you've seen really good uh, X-Men movies. Right. But we haven't seen a good Fantastic Four movie and I want... I, I, but like I would never have believed you could do Iron Man, and they did it great. Uh, yeah, I would never believe you could do a good Thor. Yeah, uh, Captain America, I could believe. Guardians of the Galaxy, I could believe. I just wouldn't think anyone would try. Guardians, um, the closest we have to an FF movie, and it's not that close, is some hybrid of The Incredibles and Guardians of the Galaxy. Somewhere in there is the closest we have to an FF movie. I mean, it's, it's probably The Incredibles is probably the closest, but it's. Uh, you can't you wouldn't be able to tell the incredible story with the fantastic four no it's 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 like the family's amped up in that version obviously yeah um and sort of it like existing in a universe of superheroes there's you know there's there's no read in the, the incredibles right there's there's no personality analog to that yeah i mean that's a great point uh, so that does keep it separate. It's like the it's like the fun and energy of the Fantastic Four, but without the the again the core of the team. Yeah, um, that's Reed. All right, that's Reed. So now we're gonna move on to another segment we call Fantastic Chat, where Kevin and I pose uh, sort of like discussion topics to the other one. That's right. So Kevin, I have one for you. I've been meaning to ask you this. Okay. Um, do you think the Fantastic Four origin? is a good story and I'll just tell you right now I don't and I think that that's one of the main problems with adapting FF is people focus on the origin and the origin is not a good story your thoughts um I think I mean the mole man aspect isn't really much of a story oh, I don't even mean that I mean the going you into space the and cosmic rays the creation space. of their powers uh I do and I like the comic itself I mean especially when you compare it to Amazing Fantasy 15 is just tremendously, tremendously worse. Right. It's not even as good as Iron Man's origin. Right. I agree. Um, Iron Man's a good story. Captain America's origin is definitely better. Yep. But I would say, like, other than, I mean, the 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 trappings of the Fantastic Four origin aren't good, but the idea that they did this to themselves by trying to go to another, uh, by trying to uh, break a barrier. Yeah. Is interesting. Okay, it, it, I see it is that. part. Is, I think it is core to their characters. It is important to their characters. Mm. Where like Spider Man's origin is important to his character, right? That he first tried to use his power selfishly. That's really important. That Iron Man uh, did this to survive. Yep. Yeah. There's just there's simpler and better stories, you know. And also Iron Man being like, you know, cavalier playboy suddenly having to change his values. Yeah. Um, Spidey being a selfish teenager, having to change his values. Um, Captain America, you know, the nerd who wants nothing more than to defend his country is not able to. Being given the ability to do so is like really fun. And then the man out of time aspect in the 60s is really compelling. But I think the fun thing about the Fantastic Four, and we've talked about this a little bit, is that even before they get their powers, they're already doing something really cool, Right. Yeah. Like without powers, they're breaking into a rocket base, stealing a rocket and flying in outer space. So if they never got their powers, like if they landed and was like, good, we did it, they probably still discover the negative zone and travel into it. Yes. Uh, I think you're right. That's, I guess that's the aspect that has to be, that's not played up a lot in the issue. And I think that is what you, the hubris of them. And the sort of itch for exploration is never explicitly front and center, but that has to be front and center for the story to work. I mean, again, talking about the the last bad movie, they took their origin more from the Ultimates uh, uh, version of Fantastic Four, uh, which is sort of the um, when Marvel Comics a while back thought people weren't reading their comics because uh, they were yeah, too much history. Yeah. They relaunched all their characters in the ultimate universe. So mm -hmm. ultimate Spider-Man being the most popular that eventually led to Miles Morales. Right. But of course the ultimate universe eventually had the same problem because there's a hundred issues. Yeah. And you know, again, people aren't buying issue hundred. They want issue one. Right. Um, but their version of fantastic four, instead of having them go into space, just has them traversing dimensions. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and that's what they do in the the most recent Fantastic Four movie, and that's just an easy yep. switch. Just, you can't do rockets versus the commies, 
but you can do like trying to travel to another universe and I'm going to do it with my team. Yeah. Uh, and I think that aspect of it still does work. It's just, um, yeah, I guess you're right. It's just not interesting enough to spend too much time on. It just isn't as built in a good story as other superheroes have. And yeah. so if you're going to adapt the FF, you either have to change it or not do it and just have them already exist. I mean, but you're also talking to a guy, me, Kevin. Yes, that's that right. That finds that most movies dwell on origins for too long anyway. Like yeah. even Spider-Man's origin, it's like, I don't need an hour long version of it. Half an hour is enough. Well, Iron Man. I one don't of the many spend... great things about Spider-Verse is they didn't. They, right. they even kind of are a little funny about that. Yeah, but two of the Spider-Mans do spend yep. a long time on yep. it. Um, Iron Man, it's like half the movie. Thor, yep. it's two-thirds of the movie. I mean, his origin is more just like realizing he needs to be worthy. Um, and it's just – it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, uh, and actually, I think Thor probably works better than most in that regard. I, I don't think origins can carry a whole movie. They're just chapter one. Yeah. Well, uh, I think um, that is true for Fantastic Four, too. It's just chapter one. It'd be tough to start Fantastic Four with them already having their powers and never talking about how they got them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd with- be interested to see what that would look like. I mean, it sounds like a problem. You're right. But um, there's something just very visually cool. About, I, I, we're, I think, you know, we're ready to accept that people have supernatural powers. Yes. And you can just do it in a quick flashback and you can save it for movie number two. Well, I mean... I look at Captain Marvel like uh, it's an origin story, but the origin is sort of spread out piecemeal throughout that whole movie. Yeah. So she can kick butt from moment one. Yeah. To moment 10. Yeah. That was uh, really, I love it. Uh, I really I think that movie was so much fun. I saw it twice. Yeah. I want to see it again. Uh, but I think in that regard, that's sort of how I, a Fantastic Four movie could work without us putting too much weight on the origin. It's like almost like the first issue does start with them already having their powers Here's how I would uh, – this is not what you asked me, but if I was going to do a movie, no, I, I would start with them being interviewed. Oh, it, yeah, because it establishes like them magazine. as celebrity. Yeah, like these people are famous. And they're like the, the new super – especially if you're putting them in the current MCU, it's like the new superheroes on the block. They're like, well, we're not really superheroes. And in that, you meet these characters. You hear like tidbits about this origin. And then maybe later on you get this reveal that like they did this to themselves. Like people are sort of like uh, – I mean that could – be an aspect of the movie, but it wouldn't be the main part of the movie. I, I would play up the celebrity in the family, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay. That's my topic. Maybe that's maybe we just need to do one topic per episode, and that's the oh, one. Oh, you're we'll scared do. of my topic. Do you have one? Uh, yeah, it's not uh, tremendous. That's but we, I, I if think, it's shorter, that's good. I think Doom is a bad character in this yeah. first two appearances. Yeah. Um, and he flies away on an asteroid. Let's say he never comes back. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who becomes the Fantastic Four's arch nemesis? Oh, what a fun question. Uh, might be the puppet master. He is, um, you know, more emotionally tied because of Alicia. Um, he's got he's got a pretty significant, you know, mind controls, like a crazy power. He looks creepy and weird. Oh, wait, I changed my mind. It's Namor. Namor is it. Uh, that would probably be my guess, too. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't get redeemed. Yeah, it's just Namor becomes a little bit more evil and a little less honorable, and he's it. You know, he's like the Magneto to their Professor X. They have some sympathy for him, but he is a bad guy. Yeah. It's sort of amazing he does become a good guy. Yeah. Um, it just shows the appeal of someone who's super ripped. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And then I guess he was a hero in the old comics. Yeah. Um. And I guess he has a, you know, he's defending his people, which is like more sympathetic than someone who just wants power for its own sake. Um, um, but that's my fantastic chat for you. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think we wouldn't miss Doom. Doom would be like if Doom only had if he vanishes on the asteroid and never comes back, he'd be a joke. And like modern writers would like bring him back as a weird novelty. Yeah. To be like, I'm going to bring back that Iron Face guy. Although he does look great. So maybe that's He does look great, but he also looks uh, way out of date, right? He doesn't doesn't fit in with like modern characters at all. I guess it's an example of one of the- It's amazing he works. 
Yeah, I guess like one of the fun of these early comics is since Marvel was a small company at the time these issues are being done, Stan and Jack had no constraints. There was not the weight of history on them and they could just chase their own passions. So if Jack was just like, I like Dr. Doom, we're going to make him work. There was no one to stop him. I'm guess Stan, but like, yeah, you know, and similarly, if Stan's like, I love the Silver Surfer, we're going to really focus on him and make him a big deal. No one else had to say yes. And so they got a chance to make these villains because Dr. Jim eventually does become a really compelling character. And they they were they didn't have to have a room full of suits say yes. They just did it. They really were able to follow their own weird instincts. Yeah. And I think a little bit they just didn't have anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Like they're like, who do you bring back? And the puppet master could work, but his well, just, power seemed too limited yeah. and Namor, they were turning into a good guy. It's like, who else do you bring back? Yeah. Um, let's move on to awards. Great. Awards. So we're, we're just going to do just, cool moments. Yeah. These are just a list of cool moments from these eight issues that really stood out to us. And we found memorable. All right. We've already said one. It's when the torch lights up his finger and shaves Namor's beard. Right. We mentioned that last episode. Ooh, love it. Uh, I think I'm going to do another torch one. The first moment when they're still in the spaceship and the torch is sort of like starting to smoke and smolder. Yeah. It's such a cool panel and sort of terrifying. Like, Yeah, it's like alien. He's like, like, I'm burning up. I'm burning up. And it's yeah. like, oh, you're flying in a spaceship and that's your girlfriend's younger brother. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. But um, like, I always remember that. The Baxter building being lifted into space, like it's being lifted up over Manhattan and you get a view of it looking down on the island of Manhattan. That looked really rad. Um, yeah, I mean, that whole sequence is really, really fun. Uh, I like, um, I'm doing another transformation one, but I, uh, also like the first bend into the thing transformation. Yep. Where they take three panels they do it a couple times cause he changes back and forth as we said, but when they do like that three panel triptych, yeah. like across a column where you see like Ben, the half Ben, yeah. half thing, and then full thing. That always looks so cool. You know, they did that in the 60s FF cartoon. They they basically took those three panels and just animated them. Smart. In, in the opening credits. It's, it, is a, it is a striking image. That 60s cartoon will start before this run is over. Oh, that's fun. It's not bad. I remember, well, I haven't seen it. I remember liking it as a kid. I liked, I've seen it uh, in the last 10 years of my life. So as an adult human. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's decent. I yeah. think it's as good as the, or maybe, oh, yeah, I think it's about as good as the Spider-Man cartoon that I think is also pretty good. Yeah. Um, the first season of that, at least. Uh, another cool moment, I think, is uh, Namor jumping from the Baxter building to Doom's ship. They make a big deal about his, like, incredible athletic feat of leaping in space. And I always thought that really looked great. Uh, this is not a great moment, but it's a ridiculous moment. <laughs> but there's a moment where they're chasing after, I think, Miracle Man. Is that who it is? Um, uh, maybe. Uh, no. Wait, who's issue? Is issue three Miracle Man yes, where they yes. get their costumes? Yeah. They're chasing after him like a hot rod. <laughs> and Reed is the tire and Johnny's hanging on the side. Uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's That's like a totally fun, different comic, but it's very fun. Also, that issue, I'm going to do two in a row. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think this is a moment you love, too, so I'm doing it because I think you'll steal it otherwise. Okay. It's the issue that <laughs> ends with the torch flying away. Oh, yeah. And Reed sort of being scared. Yeah. What will we do if he turns against us? Yeah, which is never even close to a threat, but it's a cool moment. Um, yeah, it's really fun. Another great moment is when the pirates love the thing. <laughs> they go back in time and the thing has got the worst pirate costume ever, but the pirates just love him because he's so strong and big. Um, a thing with a bomb on his back climbing into Monstro's stomach. Oh, yeah. Giganto. Yes, yes. Giganto. I, thought, I said Monstro. That's from Pinocchio. Yeah. Um, um, and that's it. There's no other cool moments. Uh, I think one other one, the, the, the visual of Doom's time machine is cool. Like the... The two-dimensional plane going down across their bodies. Oh, yeah, that's really fun. That's- it looks cool, and they still use that in Marvel Comics. Like, anytime they pull out Doom's time machine, any chance they get, because I think that visual is awesome. Yeah. Hang- I get more Kirby visuals. The Valley of Diamonds and Mole Man always stayed with me, even though it's only one panel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got another one? Uh, the Skrulls, when um, the... 
Skrull, who's shapeshifted into the thing, tears down the oil rig or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, always look kind of great and stayed in my mind. Just the just the spectacle of it. Um, I think I'm out. Yeah, me too. Um, but those are great. And there's, I'm sure there's a million more if we, if we went page by page, but, um, sure. There definitely are more great visuals, but those are the ones that like stand out to me without much digging yeah, in. They're just at the top I of mean, our brain. There's also sort of a cheat is like every time Reed wraps around the thing with his elasticity to stop him from rampaging. Yeah. I mean, which starts right away in this, it always looks really, really cool. Yep. Um, all right, so uh, let's just give – so another segment we're going to do is Lumpkin's Mailbag. But since we haven't released any episodes yet, we have no email. But yeah. we'd like you to contact us. So we kept our old email address. So email us at screwitspidey at gmail or you can tweet at us at screwitcomics. And we also That's have right. – we changed, we changed our – Instagram Twitter and our handle, Twitter. Our Twitter handle that we changed to Screw It Comics since we recorded the last episode. Yeah. We're just like the regular FF. We're changing rapidly from issue to issue. But yeah, so Twitter is now Screw It Comics. Instagram is uh, Screw It Comics, which was true last episode, is still true this episode. I also put some recent comics I've been reading at Screw It Recent on Instagram. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so yeah, check all those things. Um, and, you know, come back next week when we talk about issues 9 through, what did I say, 34? 24. No. 24. The bad issues. That's right. Come back next next week for the bad issues. Kind of the worst. The of worst issues run. of the entire run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'll be next episode. Kevin, good work. Uh, Will, you also did fine work. <laughs> All right. Uh, see you next uh, episode, everybody. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going Campfire.